0: It's National Diabetes Month and Diabetic Eye Disease Month, and in honor of that, I'm going to replay an episode that I recorded with Dr. Everton Arendelle of Tennessee Retina. Dr. Arundel and I discuss the treatment of diabetic retinopathy involving injections, steroids, and other methods retinal specialists use when we see leakage or new blood vessel growth on the retina. Enjoy Set up your eye exam and make sure you don't show any signs of diabetic retinopathy. From the in-office studios of his eye care practices in Nashville, Tennessee, it's As I See It with Dr. Jeff Kegaris, your source for eye care education and receiving the type of patient relationship you deserve. It is time for a patient revolution. And now, your host. Dr. Jeff Kageris. And we're talking about National Diabetes Month and Diabetic Eye Awareness Month. And as I mentioned last time, we talked about the detection, the monetization, and the management of diabetes. But there are times where we need to institute some treatment, and I'm very, very fortunate today to have a a fellow Big Ten fan, but even more so a fellow ex, a real expert in the management and treatment of diabetic retinopathy, and that's Dr. Everton Arendelle, who's with Tennessee Retina. Everton, are you on the phone with us? Uh, Jeff, I am. Fantastic. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, We're glad to have you, and despite what I told you, uh, you will be having to recite the Buckeye theme song at the end of this program and uh no i obviously wouldn't do that to you so let's get right into it because you and i have a lot of good ribbing back and forth about college football and the big 10 is resting now in preparation for our first games later in the month but let's let's let everybody know a little bit you're at tennessee retina now uh where did you do your training how did you get to nashville yeah
1: so uh, so jeff i uh, i yeah i well, grew up in the Virgin Islands, went to college at uh, Michigan State, which is why we say go green, of course, uh, and uh, did my medical school training at the University of Iowa. So I'm also part part Hawkeye Uh, did an internship in Indianapolis uh, and then did a residency at the other school in Michigan which is the University of Michigan which we won't talk about that one Uh,
0: bad colors blue and gold bad colors
1: (laughs) yeah you know great school great training uh, but yes uh, and then I did my fellowship uh, at the Medical College of Wisconsin a two year fellowship in retinal um, research and surgery and uh, following uh, following uh, Uh, My 14 years of the cold Midwest, uh, migrated to Nashville, uh, was on faculty at at Meharry Medical College and Vanderbilt University, and and then subsequently entered private, initially sold a private practice, uh, and then uh, my practice merged with a couple of uh, my uh, fellow retina guys in town, and we formed a group called Tennessee Retina in about 2008, and uh, that's that's been a a good uh, venture, and and, uh, we're pretty active in uh, obviously taking care of patients, but also doing high-level clinical research on retinal diseases.
0: Yeah, you guys have a reputation not only among we practitioners here in Middle Tennessee and really across the state and southern Kentucky, northern Alabama, as being the place to go for retinal care, but also nationally and internationally with some of the research that you all are involved in. Maybe at some point we can have you back and we'll talk about some of those research projects that are able to be uh, discussed. Uh, I think our our patient base, our patients are very interested in not only what is, but what is coming. If If we could perhaps do that in the future, that would be pretty good. What do you think?
1: Well, I would be more than happy to do that, Jeff. Uh, it uh, It is an integral part of what we do at Tennessee Ratna.
0: So let's talk about, it. it's it's November, National Diabetes Awareness Month, National Diabetic Eye Disease Awareness Month. We've talked about uh, diagnosing diabetes, and some people are in the treatment criteria where we need to send them to a specialist, not just any ophthalmologist. As you mentioned, your years of uh, doing a fellowship in retina uh, allow you to have particular expertise, you and your partners, in this very, very important part of this eyeball that we have called the retina the back of the eye if you will uh, we're going to talk about diabetes we've already talked to the to the uh, patient base about fluid buildup and uh, new blood vessels and how those new blood vessels are weak but let's let's kind of talk about diabetes in general over your last 15 20 years of practice everton um, we hear about a diabetic epidemic do you feel like the percentage of your practice based in diabetic care has changed much?
1: Um, I, 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 I definitely, uh, uh, you know, feel that it has, Jeff. You know, when I came to, to Nashville, um, you know, uh, some, t- some 20 years ago, um, uh, you know, I, I did see because of the places that I practiced a lot of diabetics. Uh, I will say one of the positives is that uh, when I first started practice, I think, in part because of uh, you know, maybe patient education awareness and maybe the treatment modalities that we had at that point, I think I was seeing quite a bit more advanced disease than I see now but but in terms of in terms of the actual volume of patients that we see with diabetes, there's no question that that is that's been increasing over the past decade. You know, and it, it it fits obviously the epidemiology of the disease in, in the United States and really globally. You know, we have uh, some 100 million uh, individuals in the U.S. with diabetes or what we call pre-diabetes, uh, and uh, and you know the prevalence of diabetic uh, retinopathy uh, you know varies by by country, but is thought to be somewhere in the you know the twentieth or above uh, percentile. So, in other words, individuals who have diabetes, if the people in our country. That have diabetes, about twenty percent of them will have some degree of diabetic retinopathy. Now, not all of those individuals have uh, disease that requires treatment, but uh, they all uh, uh, require, you know, monitoring, follow-up uh, in such a way that they can get treatment in a timely fashion when they do develop or if they do develop that disease to that to that severity. I think. I think uh, so, having said that, yes. Yeah. So, the answer, the short answer to your question is yes. We're seeing more. We still see pretty advanced disease, mm-hmm. uh, but we're seeing a lot, seeing a lot more patients. I think we're catching patients earlier, but the numbers are definitely higher.
0: Yeah, I, w- I would say, and, and I'm older than you, um, but I would say in my career, certainly, we've seen a number of things that parallel that. While we have more people, uh, where the prevalence and the incidence of diabetes is higher in the population, we also have more awareness. I think among uh, internal medicine, family practitioners, about the importance of, of more strict control we have optometrists and ophthalmologists over this time being much more diligent about not treating symptoms but treating people that are asymptomatic and adhering to protocols of evidence based medicine and then our equipment, our technology has so much improved some things that we used to rely on our own eyes to see we now have uh we now have computerized instrumentation that we've had for a, a good while but that's really made a difference hasn't it in everybody's ability to detect these things like macular edema or thickening of, of that area
1: uh yeah uh, absolutely uh, you know i think uh there's, there's probably been uh, been no field, and maybe certainly among the fields that have benefited from uh, imaging technology in, in medicine, uh, you know, the field of ophthalmology, and in this case specifically, the, the field of retina has been uh, has been you know, a major beneficiary of that. Uh, you know, there's there's really no way that we could that we could treat patients in uh, in, in at, at the same level. Uh, Uh, We're we're treating patients at a a level that we've not been able to treat before, in part because we've been able to diagnose a disease at an earlier stage uh, and actually be able to follow the course of treatment and how patients respond to treatment. Um, you know, our, clinical, our eyes are still very important in terms of what we do, but certainly having imaging that allows us to see things that are at the micron level um, uh, is, uh, is something that, uh, that's been invaluable in terms of how we manage patients and allowing us to manage patients.
0: Yeah, it'd be very difficult to go back to 20 years ago when we didn't have that technology, wouldn't it, and feel like we were giving people commensurate care yeah. to the way that we're seeing them now?
1: Uh, that, that's true and and you know and I think the the beauty of 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 having, of being able to benefit benefit from that is that we now actually have treatments that uh that that kind of parallel the ability to to uh, to see disease you know uh, you know twenty five years ago we had treatment treatments not at the level that we have now um, and uh, the fact that we have treatments that allow us to in, in a sense be be uh, at the same uh, parallel in terms of ability to to impact the outcomes as our, as our as our diagnostics, that that really has been, a, been 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 helpful. You know, for example, we're talking about imaging things at the micron level. Uh, you know, and we did laser for a lot of for a lot of this disease 25 years ago. You know, that's you know, they really we didn't have the imaging technology to see what was going on. Now we can treat and see differences in you know. 50, 100 microns uh, of thickness in the retina, and we really didn't have that before. So you could really tell whether or not someone was uh, improving. And of course, there lot are lots of other benefits too. You could see other things that were going on that are going on in the retina which might impact how you treat. Mm
0: Mhm. Very, very good. Um, So, in the earlier days, let's just kind of give a little bit of an evolution. Instead of just monitoring and or or managing and monitoring people closely, we started to have laser studies that that effectively said, you know, we got this crazy idea that if we kind of burn parts of the retina, maybe that might be helpful. Um, Yeah, you lose a little bit of side vision, or you may lose a little bit of central vision, but it actually did prove to be efficacious, and we did a lot of studies with. Aspirin and other non-steroidals and this and that, none of which really w- were medically beneficial, and so laser, yeah. laser for a good while was really the standard of care, wasn't it? And I think some people still believe, oh, if I go to a retinal specialist, is he going to do a laser treatment on me? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, 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 uh, that's true. Well, Jeff, it's very interesting because you know uh, because. The, the word laser is such a um, uh, kind of you know revered word in our in our culture. You know when when I tell someone uh, you know I'm not going to do laser surgery for their condition, sometimes they're actually disappointed. <laughs> and of course, when I explain to them the, the rationale why we're we actually going to you know, stick a needle in the eye instead, um, and then and then, they, then, they, then they then they of course they understand. But yes, but you know laser, I uh, you know really uh, was very, very beneficial for a lot of patients. There are a lot of patients whose eyes, uh, you know, were salvage whose vision were salvaged because they receive, received laser. And, you know, as you know, Jeff, you know, we did laser for really two major complications of diabetic retinopathy. One is the macular edema or the swelling uh, in the central retina, which is called the macula. And really we do basically what we call focal laser. That is laser directed towards leaking uh, little aneurysms. Um, and then we did, and for patients have, that had more advanced disease, what we call prolific diabetic retinopathy, which is where there are abnormal blood vessels growing either on the nerve at the back of the eye or elsewhere in the retina. We did laser, as you indicated, to, in essence, kind of destroy the the less essential portion of the retina with the idea that you're basically decreasing the relative degree of poor circulation in the eye, the goal being to save central vision. Mm -hmm. Uh, And of course that treatment has its side effects as you indicated, you know, treatment of the central retina for macular edema would lead to Blind spots close to the center of the retina. Treatment of the peripheral retina, which is for the neovascularization, uh, would lead to constriction of visual field. You know, if extensive treatment was needed. Mm-hmm. But having said that, those were uh, for the time actually very good treatments, and in selected patients. Uh, that can be an adjunctive treatment uh, that's used today. Um, you know, and we'll talk about the other treatments that are available. But uh, while laser is not uh, passe. It's it's not the it's not the gold standard anymore. But there's certainly a small role in selected patients where laser can be used and have a, you know, have, have some benefit in terms of uh, patient
0: outcome. Yeah, I think uh, we want people to know if you had laser treatment, you got the best treatment available at the time, and as everything advances, that's just a sign that, that eye care yeah. has made improvements and advances. And if you have treatment needs now, that it may be a little different than before, but you got the best treatment at the time. Uh, and yeah. you know, our fundamental rule in medicine is do the patient no harm. So we, we yeah. weren't going to give you things that were going to make it worse. That was the best we had to make it better. But then we got into this, maybe there's something circulating around there in disease retina. Let's just say this stuff, we don't know what to call it. And somebody a long time ago said, well, we're going to call this, or it is, this VEGF factor, right? And that that seems to stimulate bad things. And we want to get rid of bad things in eye care, and particularly on the retina. So, early on, this we found that this was really released in macular degeneration patients isn 't that where kind of the original preliminary yes. work was done?
1: Yeah. So some of so the, the preliminary work in ophthalmology was uh, in macular degeneration, but our oncology uh, colleagues have also known for a while that uh, the initial work that was done, you um, know, uh, and some of the work done in Boston looked at at neovascularization. We know in patients that have uh, tumors or, or cancers that part of what allows tumors to grow is the ability to have blood supply. And it was discovered that this that this um, growth factor, uh, you know, we, we we abbreviate everything in ophthalmology, and it's basically VEGF, or we call it VEGF, which stands for vascular endothelial growth factor. It's uh, it's one of the many growth factors that. Uh, that uh, are in our body, at uh, in, in tissues in our body, so it is a normally occurring substance in our body. But uh, in some of the con- in some conditions, you know, some cancers being one of them, and in the a and these eye diseases that we're talking about today, macular degeneration, diabetes, there are uh, abnormally high levels of this growth factor in the tissues, and the this uh, this uh, VEGF, or, you know, uh, actually has two effects on blood vessels. One, it causes blood vessels to leak. And so I often explain to patients, it's like, um, if, if you have, instead of, if you think of your blood vessels as being like a water hose, uh, what what uh, abnormal levels of VEGF does is it it, it uh, basically transfer uh, uh, basically changes a normal water hose into what we would think of as a soaker hose, where basically the you know fluid is just leaking out of these tiny holes, uh, and so that's what occurs in macular edema, diabetic retinopathy, and then the other uh, um, you know the other thing that VEGF does is it stimulates the growth of blood vessels, and so. Um, you know, VEGF is, is, is important in terms of the development of the eye for growth of normal blood vessels, but uh, it can also create the, the, the growth of abnormal blood vessels and these abnormal blood vessels which occur in diseases like macular degeneration and diabetes uh, can actually, they're actually not like our normal blood vessels. They're very fragile and weak and they tend to uh, to break and bleed easily, and that bleeding creates other issues, scar tissue, which can lead to loss of vision. Yeah. So, um, so those are the two bad effects of VEGF in abnormal in a you know, in abnormal levels.
0: Right, and 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 when people think about oh geez, if I get bleeding in my eye and new blood vessels and retinal detachment, they think oh that's just that's the worst thing. Um, that that that's how I lose vision in diabetic retinopathy or in diabetes. But the reality is. Those are the smaller percentage of cases. The the number one cause is from the fluid or the macular edema that we talk about. So let's let's talk about, I've got a patient. They have what we call clinically significant macular edema. I think they're a good candidate for treatment. I send them to you, and you're going to evaluate this. And let's say you've decided, yes, um, they need to be treated. First, very quickly... What what's your decision of treatment based on? And then secondly, let's talk about these. If we want to get rid of VEGF, then we must need to use an anti-VEGF to get rid of it. Sure. Tell me how that's how how you use that now.
1: Yeah. So so to answer the first part of your question. You know the evaluation of a patient that has, uh, you know, macular edema, which uh, again is swelling at the center of the retina, um, secondary to diabetes. You know, the the evaluation of that patient is like, much like we do many other patients. You know, we we we, know we take the history and we want to find out what their risk factors are. So try to find out what may have contributed to it. We know that diabetes is the underlying condition, but there are other things, uh, hypertension. Um, uh, being probably the other thing. And high cholesterol, those are also things that can impact um, the course of the disease. And so, when when I talk to patients about diabetes and they have diabetic retinopathy and diabetic macular edema, uh, it's important for me to know not only how well their diabetes is controlled, but also how well is their blood pressure controlled if they have hypertension and if they have uh, hypercholesterolemia because those things also create retinal damage and so they are add-ons, so to speak, negative add-ons to the underlying condition. Uh, You know, we evaluate the patient, we talked about the importance of being able to look in the eye, which we do, to see the disease, and then the imaging modalities that we use. Uh, you know, um, for example, uh, you know something called an OCT, which is basically like a computerized scan of the retina that allows us to look at the retina and see if there's actually swelling of the retina, swelling in the center of the retina, and other imaging such as being able to take photos with an angiogram, so we can actually look at the circulation in the eye um, and. You know, getting taken all that information together, along with how the patient is seeing, uh, you know, we evaluate where the swelling is. Is this is this swelling involving the very center of the retina, which is where we get the um, and the specific criteria what we, what that allows us to determine whether or not it's what I call clinically significant, meaning whether or not it's edema that needs to be treated, um, or whether or not it's just swelling that's close to the center, but find a way that it's not impacting vision or not likely to impact vision, in which case you may follow that patient. But let's say we have the patient that comes in and has what we call clinically significant macular edema, which is an essence swelling of the central retina. Um, those patients can actually sometimes have very good
0: vision. Um, and, uh, but we even, do know Even twenty twenty, we might point out, even, right? They may not even, notice even, any change in vision at all. That's correct.
1: And so, um, and there's, there's studies that have, that have looked at what it costs to those patients over time. Um, and someone who has, you know, who has, um, you know, 20-20 vision, um, Which is the way that we, you know, we measure it on an eye chart. They may not actually have normal vision if we use other modalities to measure vision, such as how well they can see contrast and so forth. But that's not the the typical way that we we measure vision for every patient. But uh, those uh, a patient can have 20/20 vision and have what we consider clinically significant macular edema. Um, If they have this, then then one of the options for treatment. Um, is to use uh, anti-VEGF agents, and, uh, and these are substances that we inject into the eye, basically into the vitreous, which is the gel in the eye in front of the retina. And those substances will block. They will they will bind to the receptors that VEGF would normally bind to. And they actually block the effects of VEGF, hence the, the terminology as you use anti-VEGF. Um, and those medications will do that for a period of time, uh, but over time, that the, the effects of the medicine wears off, and in, and and repeated injections are often needed to be done, or the effects of the VEGF will um, you know will will overtake the eye. And so, um, so we use there's several different medications that we use, and we can talk about them. Uh, but they uh, they basically they are basically things that block this growth factor that causes these these uh, bad things to occur in the eye.
0: Okay, I'm really tempted to say blocking. That must have been a new concept to you as a Michigan State football fan. But let's move on to the retina <laughs> farther. Um, there are different substances. The first one that came out that really kind of uh, – uh, told us that the Macugen and all that that said, wow, these things work. But now we've really moved on to some, some much better agents, um, yeah. Avastin, Lucentis, Ilea, etc. And so, first yeah. of all, let's, let's get this out of the way, Everton. Nobody likes to think about a shot in the eye a needle in my eye first of all it's not in the central part in your cornea and right in front of you it's really in a in an area that's less sensitive isn't it but can you just let us know what you tell your patients when you say i know what you're thinking about a, about an injection in the eye where we have to put the medicine but here's what you should here's what you should expect
1: Sure. Yeah. So the first, obviously, you know, the, the logical question when someone says, "I'm going to use a needle," what patients basically want to know is, uh, "Is this going to hurt?" Because we're, we're we're programmed to think of needle as uh, as the, the delivery of pain. And so what we t- what I tell patients, I actually explain to them that this is a very small needle, kind of like a like a needle that you get like for the tuberculin. Uh, you know, skin test. It's a tiny needle. Um, it actually, you know, it, we inject it through the white of the eye, not not through the front of the eye, but through the white of the eye into the into the cavity called the vitreous, which is where that gel is. Um, and and be, but before we do that, um, there, there are things that we do to basically uh, anesthetize the eye, and there are different ways to do that. Um, you can use drops that you put in that will over that will with repeated you can get good anesthesia. You can use a topical gel, a sort of a lidocaine gel that you can put on the eye. Sometimes that's combined with doing uh, what we call a pledget, which is something like a, a, a sponge that's soaked with um, with uh, the anesthetic and placed you know at the spot for several minutes before you do the injection or you can actually do uh, an injection, a numbing sh- uh, injection, a numbing shot, an anesthetic shot where we actually inject a lidocaine uh, underneath the thin covering, which is called the conjunctiva of the eye, and that, that, that um, lidocaine is basically sitting against the sclera. The sclera, which is the white of the eye, is where those nerve fibers are, and so if you can anesthetize that, then you can put a needle in the eye uh, with patients having virtually no pain at all, and so, uh, you know, so there are different ways to do it, and then of course with any procedure, you know, we are always concerned about the potential for infection, although it's it's uh, it's rare or not very common. There, you know, there are certain tex- techniques that we use to you know, try to prevent that from occurring, in- in- including, uh, you know, using. A beta dye or antiseptics, which uh, which retards the growth of bacteria, Mm you know, prior to injection. So we do that. The injection actually literally takes seconds to do it once the eye is numb.
0: I think that uh, if if we can liken it even to dentistry, and that may not be a perfect analogy, but I know, you know, early early on years ago, if you had to get Novocaine, they just the needle would just go in (laughs) you know basically and now they're always numbing the surface first so you really don't feel the needle um very much if at all and in that case maybe at the at the last little bolus but um, it's a very similar type of thing with this it sounds worse than it actually is or people wouldn't continue to go back and back to get this done wouldn't you agree
1: yeah, yes, I think there's so much, you know, I think the the anxiety for the first injection is pretty high. And so I I yeah, I think I always tell patients once you've had it done once, you know, then you know you'll realize that it's not nearly as bad as you might have imagined. Okay. But it is it is for the for, for the first time they're having it done, there's a lot of there's typically some anxiety and then it's when it's over with uh, you know, they they they, they you know, they're often, you know, shocked that they uh, that how easy that process was in terms of how quick it go how quickly it goes and how how little to no discomfort that they have with it
0: yeah and i think so, i think in the hands of of you and your colleagues your other retinal specialists your retina guys and gals as you would as you would say um that that's that's where you need to be it's somebody that does this thousands of times a year and so it You guys just take great care. I know you took great care of my mom prior to her passing. You've taken great, such great care of so many of our patients. And and they very seldom, if if almost never come back and say anything about, oh, gosh. I mean, if anything, maybe they notice floaters after the injection. Why might they see that? Why, Why do they talk about that?
1: Well, so when we do the injection in the eye, uh we inject in, uh, in you know, in for the for the anti digest, we inject in basically a fluid into the um into the eye and that fluid is basically mixing with the gel. And so they may see something that looks like a, a swirl of the with the, of the medication as it, as it goes in. And also there are changes that can occur in the vitreous when we do the in the vitreous itself when they do the injection where they may see floaters occasionally um there uh, the, the syringe with the medication may have a small um air bubble uh doesn't create any issues but patients may sometimes see a small bubble air bubble in the eye, which usually goes away in um in less than 24 hours and so there are different things that they may see some of the floaters are related to the medication. Sometimes it's related to just changes in the vitreous because of the injection. And in other cases, it may be tiny ear bubbles that are mixed in with the medication, which uh, really creates no no harm at all to the patient and usually will resolve on its own.
0: Yeah, only really a temporary side effect. So let's talk about the yeah. good news is. The good news is this stuff works. We know that from multiple studies, and it's been yeah. on the market for a while. Uh, we can protect yeah. vision, and in some cases, actually, even a little bit of improvement. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. That, that's correct, and so here's the, the big difference between what we used to do before with laser and what we do with uh, you know with these medications. When we when we did uh, laser, you know, in the past for diabetic macular edema, um, you know, uh, in in most cases you could stabilize the vision, and there was a, and in and in some patients there would be a small uh, you know um, improvement in vision. Uh, maybe a few letters. Uh, when we inject these medications in someone who has some you know, some significant decrease in vision, if they're caught early enough and, they, and the retina hasn't deteriorated because of chronic swelling, uh, we actually can get not letters, but lines of improvement in vision. And so... Um, uh, the the other benefit, of course, is we don't create blind spots in the vision when we inject with these medications because there's no there's no scarring of the retina from these injections, and so that's really been it's really been a sea change, and it's been one that uh, you know as a retina specialist has been very gratifying to be able to offer something to you, to a patient that you, that you know they more more likely than not will see some some visual benefits. So. You know, we get excited when we look at the OCT and we say, "Oh gosh, look, look how much better that looks!" But it's much more gratifying to be able to show the patient, uh, "Here's what's happening on the on the OCT. You are getting better, and you can tell your vision's getting better." Now, now the degree as to how much better they get may vary from one patient to the next, but typically patients can see the difference, uh, uh, and often they can they can see the difference in the quality of vision. In a way that we can't measure it. So that same patient with 20/20 2020 or 20/25 vision, they may still. When they measure their eye, their you know someone with better vision might not. They may not read any better on the eye chart, but they can tell the quality of the vision is better. Which is why I say that you know while we check the vision on the eye chart, there are other there are other things uh, that um, that patients see um, in terms of how, how crisp and clear colors are. In, uh, and for and, and, and the majority of patients where they actually have the loss of line of vision, they actually get improvement in the actual visual acuity or what they read on the eye chart. So that, that actually has been, been, been very gratifying.
0: I think we can liken it kind of to hearing in that with visual yes. acuity, while it's a good standard for us to check, it's really only checking kind of one frequency of vision. If we're thinking about hearing at different frequencies, it doesn't check Correct. overall vision. And that's why patients subjectively sometimes go, I don't know what you're measuring on the chart, but I can tell you I am seeing better. And, and so yes. that just says that our ability to detect every aspect of a patient's vision is not... Is not as good as the patient themselves. Sometimes agreed.
1: That's absolutely correct. And really, at the end of the day, it's it's what the patient sees uh, that really matters. You know, uh, it's it's. I mean, it's helpful for us to know that we're altering the course of their disease. Someone who might otherwise lose their vision, that we're preserving it. But um, and that's a, and that's very important because we know you know uh, from experience how how um, this disease can be be uh, devastating to someone's vision. But it's it's it is gratifying to, for the patients to be able to see, and actually, the ability of them to be able to tell the difference is an important part in in uh, their enthusiasm in being compliant with the treatment regimen. Because as we talked about with this treatment, it's not it's not typically just one injection; it is a series of injections um, that we do. Uh, that uh, that is tailored specifically to the patient and how well they're doing, um, and so the frequency of the injections are tailored to how the patient's doing.
0: So um, we're gonna we're gonna come back and talk a little bit more about that just to to give a little bit of editorial here. We're talking with Dr. Everton Arendelle of Tennessee Retina, uh, a great retinal practice and a great retinal specialist and good friend of the practice and of mine. Uh, when we come back in just a moment, we're gonna talk a little bit more about the frequency of treatment and perhaps where Dr. Arendelle sees us going in the future with treatment, Uh, maybe some modifications, some improvements even, uh, what the future looks like, and some other adjunctive options that your retinal specialist may offer you. So in just a minute, we'll be back with As I See It.